0: Well, if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. There was an article um, entitled, Power of Light, in the October 2001 edition of National Geographic. And it included the following paragraph. Light reveals the world to us. Body and soul crave it. Light sets our biological clocks. It triggers in our brains the sensations of color. Light feeds us, supplying the energy of plants to grow. It inspires us with special effects like rainbows and sunsets. Light gives us life-changing tools like incandescent bulbs to lasers and fiber optics. Scientists don't fully understand what light is or what it can do they just know that it will illuminate our future our passage tonight involves an illustration or image of light uh, light of a lamp to be specific and i believe the illustration's clear it's one that we can fully Understand and appreciate, and at the same time, it has been interpreted in a variety of ways because there are differing opinions in regard to exactly what Christ was illustrating. And of course, this reminds us or should remind us of a very important point that we made last week, which was any ability that we have or are going to have. To apprehend or um, appraise spiritual things is the result of the Spirit opening our hearts and our minds in order that we might receive and are convinced of the truth. So what I would like to do before we even go any further is pray that the Lord would do that for us tonight, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, by your Spirit. Would you please grant power to the preaching of your word? Would you grant us the ability to appraise and apprehend your truth? Awaken our attention, open our sorrows, convict us and challenge us, and then would you please refresh us and encourage us and comfort us as we see Jesus? I'm weak and needy as usual and unfit for this task, so I ask for your support, I ask for your strength, I ask for you to fill me with your spirit, that I might be a pure channel of grace this evening. Would you help me to communicate with clarity and fluency and fervency and with grace for the sake of Christ and His church? Amen. The outline I've put together has got three points, Um, two of them reflect a couple of the various translations that I've just uh, alluded to a little bit. Uh, The first is going to focus on the teaching of Christ as uh, the light, and the second is going to focus on we as hearers being light. So we're going to look at how the Word of God is light in a dark world. We're going to look at how the people of God are to be light in a dark world. And then finally, we will look at how the family of God gives us hope in a dark world. All right, those are the three things. But let me read verses 16. Matt did a great job, but let me read verses 16 to 18 again. You can hear now the word of the Lord. Now, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. "...but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away." The word of the Lord may he write its truth upon our hearts. Now, you'll remember last week uh, that in the parable that Jesus taught, the parable of the soils, I mentioned to you in passing uh, that Christ was the sower. And I mentioned that to you in passing, I said, because Christ himself did not answer the question, who was the sower, in the parable. And he only briefly mentioned the fact that the seed was the Word of God. His primary focus, of course, was the soils, the, the soils of the heart. Um, you also remember that I mentioned, and Matt even said he, he appreciated it, but um, you remember that the sowing was this wide, far and wide casting of the seed, Right? It, was, it was indiscriminate, it was generous and, and liberal, and it wasn't restricted, it wasn't, some, uh, it wasn't uh, specialized or targeted, it wasn't exclusive in any way. The sower would cast as far as he could cast and would allow the seed to fall on the soil as it may. And Christ, through this illustration in verses 16 to 18, also says that His sowing wasn't just indiscriminate. It was also meant to be in full view. It was to be public. In other words, the Word of God was meant to be proclaimed openly for all to see in uh, in full view and for all to see to hear. It wasn't a lamp that was to be lit and then placed under a jar, and it wasn't to be placed under a bed. I mean, that seems ridiculous to even think about. It was intended to be put on a stand and do the job it was intended to do, which was light up a room so that people could see. And in the same way, the light of God's Word isn't meant to be stifled. It isn't meant to be kept in private. It is meant to be publicly proclaimed, It's it's meant to go out so that it can do what it was intended to do, which is both illuminate and evaluate. It is meant to both reveal and expose. As the light of the world, Christ came in order to overcome the darkness of our hearts, and to overcome the darkness of our world and his ministry of proclamation that we've been talking about for the last several chapters was to proclaim through his preaching and teaching he was to illuminate the purpose and plan of salvation that is what he was casting far and wide But as light does, not only was it illuminating that plan of salvation, it was illuminating the path to life, it was illuminating the path of life, but not only was it illuminating, it was also exposing that which was in the dark. And children, I want to ask you a question, I want you to be honest with me because I'm about to be honest with you. How many of you are afraid of the dark? How many, okay, how many of you have ever been afraid of the dark? right, I could raise my hand on both of those, Okay. I grew up afraid of the dark, but I have to tell you, when I go outside in my neighborhood, if I don't have a light, I'm scared. So we've all been there. And so, w- what helps us overcome that fear? It's light. Light overcomes that fear. Uh, any light, a light in a room, right before we enter a room, we turn it on. Uh, we like night lights in our hallways. And in our bathrooms and i like to carry a flashlight when i go outside because we don't know what's in the dark but the light helps us it reveals what's in the dark it exposes what's in the dark and the word of god that reveals the path of life and the and the path to life also exposes what's in the dark it exposes that darkness within our heart. It exposes the darkness that's within the world in which we live, and He does that for every man, woman, boy, and girl. And fortunately, for those of us who look to Jesus, the light not only exposes our dark hearts, but the light also cleanses us, and we don't have to fear being exposed because of what Christ has done for us. Now, brothers and sisters, over the last several years, and I know you've noticed this, anything I'm about to say is not going to be news to you, but over the last few years, public discourse and the exchanging of ideas and and debate that were all once a part of the search for truth that was at one time um, believed to be in the best interest of the common good has all but disappeared. Um, Spirited conversation characterized by reason and tolerance in the classical sense has given away to shouting, matches, and demagoguery, and intolerance. And I wish that were the extent of it. But unfortunately, there is a growing number of people who have lost the ability to distinguish between fact and fiction and between, between objective truth and falsehood. And again, it, it's nothing new. I mean, it's, it's really the age-old problem of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. It just seems to be more pronounced in these last several years. And no matter how irrational their truth may be, the freedom to express alternative positions to their truth is not just passe, it's considered dangerous. Therefore, opposing opinions must be silenced. Those who disagree must be relegated to a position of listener or learner, or in some cases simply canceled altogether. Arguments are even formed in such a way that dissenting views become Evidence for the fact that whoever is disagreeing is, is a part of the problem, and they are automatically disqualified from participation in those conversations, so-called conversations. And I say so-called because it's, it, there's really not an interest to have a charitable dialogue at all. We're simply to listen to a monologue of self-designated experts. And the bottom line is, there is an ongoing attempt to ban the truth of God's Word from public discourse. To express the truth of God in general or to express the gospel in particular is not only considered irrelevant, it's considered insensitive and in some cases adversarial. And so the best thing to do is to put it under a jar or hide it under the bed. The truth must be suppressed. must be banned. It must be silenced in order for false narratives to flourish and for individuals and groups who champion those false narratives to avoid being exposed. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, we must remain faithful and steadfast in our ministry of proclamation in which we put the Word of God on a stand for all to see and for all to hear so that those who enter may see the light. We must be willing to bring the gospel to bear in public discourse and in conversations, in one-on-one conversations. We must communicate in a way that reveals our belief in the sufficiency of the Word of God. We must not shy away from answering the tough questions, despite the fact that our answers will be deemed inappropriate and sometimes hateful. But we must communicate in such a way that we are heard, right? We we don't need to be offensive and argumentative or arrogant or condescending. We need to be compassionate yet bold and we need to be considerate yet confident. To love our neighbor well, we must share that which is true and do so lovingly and kindly but without reservation and without fear of consequence. We need to be actively involved in rightly Defining what is fact and what is fiction, what is true and what is false. And we do that by rightly dividing and applying the word of truth. The the light is the word of God, the word of God is the light in a dark world. Now, again, that was one way of interpreting that illustration. The second is, is here, and the people of God are to be light in a dark world. We need to go to back to verse 15, because at verse 15, Jesus concluded his interpretation of, the, uh, interpretation of the parable of the soils by saying this about the good soil. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. They are Those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. And as we said last week, we walked through that parable, and and there are hard hearts, and there are shallow hearts, and there are uh, immature hearts. But there are also hearts uh, that have, have been and are being cultivated. Right, Those hearts, the limestone has been broken, the weeds are being weeded out, and the soil is being tilled and regularly moved. And they're ready, have been, and are ready for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Hearts of stone have been turned into hearts of flesh. And we have hearts in which sin and idols have been exposed. And they've been put to death. And, and those hearts have been cleansed and wiped clean. And, now pos- and they now possess a desire to grow and to know, and to seek after the Lord, and to hold His Word, to listen to it, and to hold on to it, and and to produce an abundance of fruit that will persevere and endure. And Christ's illustration of the lamp is used by Luke to elaborate on that heart, to, to focus on that particular heart in which the seed takes root and and fruit begins to come forth. The fruit produced will be on display for all to see. It'll be out in the open because those who have seen the light become light. Their fruit is obvious. The secret things that, that they have, had been given the ability to know and understand had led to fruit, an abundance of fruit that wouldn't remain secret. Good hearts produce observable fruit on the outside. The internal leads to the external. Now, unlike Matthew, the use of... uh, Well, Matthew uses the illustration if you go to Matthew chapter 5 he uses the illustration in more of a missional bent with more of a missional bent in other words you know Matthew's emphasis is on the our outward display so that others seeing and glorifying god uh, so that others would see and would glorify god based upon our good works but Luke has a little different bent Luke is not so missional he's more personal in nature Luke's desire is to to speak about that outward display of fruit, but he is focusing on whether the hearers and whether those displaying fruit are, are possessing faith or are merely professing faith. For Luke, Jesus is asking these two questions. Is your hearing leading to doing? And is your heart a heart of good soil that is producing good fruit that is visible? And then he adds on to that because there's going to come a day when all things are going to be laid bare and the soil of your heart is going to be exposed. Paul put it a little differently. But communicated the same thing to the church at Ephesus. He wrote, Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul, writing to the church, was expecting those with hearts of good soil to, to habitually walk in the light. And not only walk in the light, but be children of light. Their lifestyles were to reflect goodness and righteousness and truth. They were to uphold God's standard. They were to live in that way and not only uphold it, but it was to, not only were they to do the the right and good things, but it was coming from the right motivation. And so those who walk as light wanted to glorify Him. They they aren't seeking to secure their position. That position has been secured by Christ. Christ. But having had their position secured, they are then seeking to honor him as a child of his. So the questions is your hearing leading to doing? And is your heart a heart of good soil that is producing good fruit that's visible? Are both very, very important questions because it's one thing to say we believe in Christ and it's another to believe Christ. It's one thing to say that we trust Christ and His Word, and it's another to actually trust Him and His Word. It's one thing to say we believe in particular doctrines. It's another to actually live in light of them. Again, it's one thing to profess, and it's another to possess. And then in verse 18, Jesus says, take care then how you hear. Take care how you hear. He says, pay attention to what I'm saying. Listen carefully. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Listen, heed, listen and obey. Because the more you listen and obey, the more you're going to understand And what you're going to receive, and what you receive now is going to pale in comparison to what you are to receive in the life to come. And be careful, because if you don't listen and don't obey, what little knowledge and understanding you do have is going to be taken away. And you're going to be rudely awakened in the life to come. So for us, the question is, what does that fruit look like? Right? We want to know what is that fruit that we're looking for to come forth? And, and to answer that, we need to answer a few more uh, ask and answer a few more questions. And one is this: how are particular doctrines that we profess to believe outwardly expressed? how are they outwardly expressed in our lives? What do they look like? And we can get more specific. How do, how do doctrines like sovereignty and Providence and election, um, doctrines like justification and sanctification and perseverance and glorification. What do those look like in the day-to-day? It's one thing to say we believe them. It's another for them to affect how we live in the day-to-day. And Philip Reichen helps us get even more specific than that. And I've taken a few of his statements, turned them into questions, and then added a couple of my own. Let's think about these for just a minute. Do we make the use of the law? Do we make use of the law by confessing our sins on a regular basis? Do we make use of the gospel by turning to Christ in faith and receiving the forgiveness of sin that He offers? Do we make use of the doctrines of sovereignty and providence By setting aside our fears and our worries and trust that even when we don't know what or why the Lord is doing what He's doing, we remain firmly in His hands and He remains good and wise at all times and is using everything for His glory and our good. Do we make use of the doctrine of election by living with humility, remembering that there's nothing in us at all that deserves God's grace? Do we make use of the doctrine of justification by living in freedom from any attempt to self-justify and improve our standing before the Lord? And rather, resting in the work, the finished work of Christ, who has earned it all for us. Do we make use of the doctrine of sanctification by growing in practical holiness? Are we growing more and more to say no, more and more to sin? And then living more under righteousness and living with charity and purity and generosity by the power of the Spirit? Are we making use of the doctrine of perseverance by remaining steadfast and immovable in the midst of trials and suffering? Do we make use of the doctrine of glorification? And and are we waiting for the hope of Christ's return and therefore investing in that which is eternal rather than what's temporal? Are we making use of the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture to rely upon the Word as that which is all we need for salvation and the growth in godliness? What effect do these things have, do do these truths have in our daily lives? How we answer these questions will give us a pretty accurate picture of of the fruit that we are, that's growing out of our hearts, that's growing out of that good soil, and it gives us a good idea of that light that we're casting out in, in a dark world, Because let's, let's not make any mistake, even though this isn't Luke's point and it was Matthew's point, but let's, let's be sure that we understand that fruit that comes from the heart, the good soil of a heart, right, is going to is show forth and that light that shows forth is going to expose and differentiate, right, it's going to expose darkness and it's going to differentiate between those who believe and those who don't. And those who don't are going to respond. They're either going to follow the light, they're going to run from the light, or they're going to try to put it out. And we need to know that as we walk out into that world around us. Well, finally, that brings us to our last point in verses 19 to 21. The family of God gives us hope in a dark world. Luke says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Luke, as he has been throughout his gospel, is being very strategic. He's taking and placing these things in, in where they are for a particular purpose. And in this case, he's taking this, this story to wrap up this section that we've been talking about in chapter 8. And even before that, he's wanting to tie it all up into a bow. And he wants to provide hope and assurance for those who are reading, right? That's his whole purpose from the very beginning, He's trying to encourage Theophilus and he's trying to encourage the rest of us to believe on Jesus. And so he places this story here and, and the point is just very simply this. I don't really need to even explain what's happened. You can see what happened. It's pretty straightforward. But, but the answer Jesus gives, he's simply saying, you know, Christ says, take heed, right? listen and do the word of God. And as you do this, as you listen, as you take heed, as you obey and do the Word of God, rest assured. Rest assured that you are a part of the family of God. Because those who are part of the family of God are those who hear the Word of God and do it. Again, it's not about our securing our position, it's because our position has been secured, our sins have been forgiven. Right, the, the light has exposed the darkness of our heart, and we've turned to Christ in faith. We've repented of our sin, and we're looking to Him and Him alone for, uh, in faith for our salvation and forgiveness, and our position, our standing before the Lord has been solidified. We are a child of God. We're no longer enemies, but children of His, and Christ says, you're in the family of God, therefore you will listen and do the Word of God, and I know that you're a part of the family of God because you were listening and doing the Word of God. So again, our doing isn't the basis for our membership. It's evidence that we're a part of His family. And as important as our family relationships are, it's the family of God that provides our true identity. It's the family of God that provides our true identity. Being in Christ It's, It's the family of God that satisfies our need for and provides our sense of belonging. It's the family of God that provides the security that we long for and the protection and permanence that we need and that we're looking for as we live temporarily in the midst of this dark world. To paraphrase an old hymn, we have, we have, as a part of the family of God, because of whose we are, we have nothing to dread or fear. We are at peace with our Lord so near. We are safe and secure from all alarms because we're leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. He's our older brother. He secured our position for us. And we are safe within the confines of the family of God. Chapter, or the second paragraph of chapter 25 of our confession, I've, I've uh, taken a couple of uh, bits from it, and it puts it this way. The visible church is the house and family of God out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. And that simply means that our heeding and our listening to and our obeying and doing the word of God and our love and desire to be a part of this family and this this visible people gives us hope and assurance of our salvation. We can rest assured. So, brothers and sisters, they who have ears, let them hear. Are you listening to the word of God? Are you doing the Word of God? Are you believing in Jesus? Is your faith and hope solely in Him? Are you living in light of His glory and grace? If so, rest assured, you are a part of His family and nothing will separate you from it. And He will never let you go no matter how dark Our world around us may be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.